0: You know those moments where you think, I wish I would have learned this in school? Those are the topics that we love to talk about. Join me each week as I interview experts sharing their strategies for solving problems that us young adults will face throughout our 20s and 30s. So what are you waiting for? And if you want new episodes about adulting advice every Monday, hit that follow button. today's conversation, I went down this incredible unplanned rabbit hole with my friend Megan Miller. We both have this mutual love for journaling, and I spent the first half of this conversation asking a lot of questions about her specific practice. It really made me realize how much of an impact my simple journaling practice has left on me. I'm hoping this gives you some inspiration on how you could get started journaling and what benefits you can expect by doing so. Aside from being a journaling enthusiast, Megan is a coach centered around helping high achievers detox off the drug of achievement. We discuss the potentially negative impact of relying on a career for validation. I don't think getting validation from my career has been inherently bad, but whenever I find this is the only area I'm relying on for validation, it creates a major imbalance in my life. And surprise, surprise, I kind of feel like I'm itching towards that right now and I'm curious for solutions, so I asked Megan some questions about this subject too. If you're a listener of the show and you haven't left us a rating and review, we'd really appreciate it if you did. We are trying our hardest to get to 100 reviews before our 100th episode, so we'd love it if you played a part in that. But if you're new, all I want you to do is sit back, relax, and learn something new with us. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the fellow Sarah Blakely fanatic friend of the show, and the host of the Attention to Intention podcast, Megan Miller. So I found a lot of solace in the fact that you had a speech impediment. I also had a speech impediment and had to go to speech therapy classes in elementary school. And, and look at us here. Now we're both podcasters in front of mics. <laughs> so the world is, is funny in that way. But do you remember a word, phrase, something that you always struggled with? Maybe mom gave you some grief about or somebody else or something that you're like, you still shy away from saying time to time, even though you, you can now pronounce it pretty clearly.
1: I love this question. So I have to tell you, I did not 39. And just the other month, it was the first time that I ever really paused to look into the psychology and the mental component around speech impediments. What resonated with me is that some children have this like emotional knee-jerk reaction to it coming from some sort of trauma, big or small. And for me, it was the total abandonment with my father and feeling like I was alone So anyway, that's that's going down a deep, dark path. But I was like, it's so interesting how you never pause to stop and think about why you do certain things. And look where we are now. Podcasting, speaking. So there's that. And then to answer your question, Justin, to get off my tangent and answer your question. (laughs) It's so funny, the things you remember. So I remember going into that guidance counselor's office to the speech therapist office as a kid. I had a Lori, Fr- oh my God, what was her name? Frank, was it Lori Frank? It was like the little folders that you could have, like the, oh my God, they were like this, like the little manila folders. And mine okay. had a, a panda bear on it. And I remember okay. it like it was yesterday. And I could not pronounce fire. <laughs> I would say fire. What was yours? Do you remember yours? Like, do you remember?
0: Banana was always terrible. Pillow was a terrible word for me as well. Breakfast was probably one that I struggled with the most, even through elementary school and further on. I still have to overemphasize breakfast in order to get that one out. There's plenty of words. And honestly, being from the Midwest, we say some things pretty weird anyway, yeah. but there are many words now that I, I do some traveling that people give me grief for. And some of it is the speech impediment. Some of it is just Midwest raw, And that's just how we say things. <laughs>
1: Do you, did you ever stop, my friend, and think about, was your speech impediment emotionally tied to
0: anything? I'm just curious. If you were to back me in a corner and ask me, or if I were to start to unpack that a little bit, my sister did a lot of speaking for me when I was younger. So I was Mm -hmm. never a really confident speaker in general. She was always the older sister that someone would ask me a question and she would jump in and, (laughs) and answer said question for me. And I was totally cool with that. I kind of just hid behind older sister and and let her do her thing. So I think that was part of it. There was also probably just some mechanical or physical things. I, I yeah. speak fast and my teeth and all of that. Like it, there yeah. was just a lot of things happening there. So I think it was probably a blend of both. But I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. I haven't really ever thought too hard about it or tried to unpack it that much.
1: It's really interesting. Like I, I was just talking to a girlfriend about this the other day. And I said, you know... The person that you never really stop to get to know, but is with you your entire journey. The first person that you criticize, the last person that you ever keep your promises to is you.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that's the person we're never taught to get to know.
0: It's really interesting podcasting, researching guests, because a lot of times you guys bring up things for me, like the speech impediment. I hadn't given a whole lot of thought to the fact that I did speech therapy for a couple of years. And honestly, how embarrassing that was. I remember just like hating it because for 30 minutes during class, like I was that one kid that had to walk out and go (laughs) do something else. And I was like, what the heck? Like it was the worst. And I remember like pleading with my parents, but like that's deep down. Somewhere, And it didn't really come back up. I probably haven't thought about that for 10 or 15 years until I started researching you. And there are so many other guests, actually a a previous guest, you'll you'll come out before he does, but Paul Angoni, I was doing some research for him and he really ripped the Band-Aid off for me. He is somebody that speaks a lot about 20-somethings and the unique struggles that 20-somethings have. He's written like four or five books, all specifically for 20-somethings. I started researching him and I think I hadn't necessarily started the process of thinking about hitting this milestone in May of turning 30. Like I'm, yeah. I'm turning 30 in May and I don't, I, uh, I say I'm indifferent about it. I've heard lots of amazing things about your 30s. 30s is like 20s with your money. 30s is like you, you're you more confident, you know yourself. i and then, and then talking to 50, 60, 70 year olds, like it's amazing how confident they are and or they just don't care. So like yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. but change is hard regardless. And the fact that the two's gotta drop and the three's gotta come to the top of my age now too probably made me resist thinking a lot about turning thirty. Therefore, I hadn't really given a whole lot of thought to the learning lessons mm. and like what it's going to what the last decade has really given me as well. And then I started researching him and he just opened it all up for me. And and for like a whole week, so many things were coming back and coming back. And so it's really cathartic to get back to your initial question too. It's really cathartic being a podcaster and getting to bring some self-awareness and self-reflection into my own life through the research of my guest. But yeah, it is kind of crazy the fact that we have spent 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year, 29 years and a little bit more currently right now, knowing all of these things about myself, but not necessarily knowing all of these things about myself.
1: Yes. And Justin, as you're talking, it just made me flash too, too, how we are not aware on the content that we consume. You can so easily just fly in autopilot. I love to say at some point in your journey, circumstance takes the wheel, you're buckled up in the passenger seat and you're just taking it as it comes. And I had read this study that three minutes in the morning, three minutes of rolling over and grabbing the phone to check the emails, to do the social feeds, to whatever, watch the news, whatever your routine is. If you do that for three minutes, you will have a 70% higher chance of having a bad day. So when I heard that, I thought, shit, I got to get my shit together because I am one of those people that I even slept with the phone underneath my pillow and I would always feel like shit because I was either sending the email, I was scrolling social, feeling like shit about what I didn't have, or I was buying stuff I didn't need, right? And and I never slept good and then I would get up and I would look at the phone. So I say all that to say as you're just talking about the power of getting to know these guests and having these conversations, it just makes me think about the power of the community that you're building, which I love so much. I love you to pieces. And we were just talking about how we came into each other's life so beautifully and serendipitously. And I think to, to piggyback off that, when you become aware of the content that you listen to, it's amazing what you find. So for instance, in the morning now, I, I do not put the news on. I will listen to a podcast as I am in the shower getting ready. That elevates me, that feeds my soul, and it is amazing how I show up differently in my days because what you look for, you find.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you walk me through your morning routine and as much detail as you can? Oh, I would, I would love to. Let's do it. So there was a time in my life
1: when I would hit this news button. 10 times. I was always running late. I never liked to talk, Justin, about feelings, emotions, anything. So I always kept things on surface level. And I would say it was Megan Miller, the tornado. Because that's really was my life. I would always get late. I, would, <laughs> I was always late. Kind of reminded myself of, now I could look back and laugh on it. It wasn't funny at the time. But back to the future, the doc, how he's like always, like he looks like all hazard. <laughs> hip ha- that was me. I was always running late to everything. And what I had realized was, you know, the end of my days were always, I was just exhausted. I felt tired. I always beat myself up about what I didn't get done, never about what I did do. And then I had this moment. I started to get into personal development from an ex-boyfriend. He bought me the Tony Robbins CD set, which for anyone who's listening, you're like CD's Back in the day, my friends, there was the (laughs) six fold like CD set. And I remember listening to that like it was the latest jock jams in the car. And I realized, oh, my God, these things that were never taught. It's so easy to point the finger at everyone else. It's the job. It's my family life. I'm never given anything. I'll always be heavy. There's no good men or women out there. This job is what it is. Yeah, I hate it, but it's a job. I can't have the blip Mm -hmm. on my resume. Whatever stories you tell yourself, you are the common denominator in all of it. So if you want to change anything, you have to change you. And that is damn hard because that's the thing you've never been taught. So as I heard those words, it started to really get me into this intentionality on the conversations I was having with myself Justin, I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. I still struggle with that. Like I was reading something the other day that 51% of Americans can't even look at themselves in the mirror. (sighs) 96% are women. And I thought to myself, oh my God, that's, that's, that's sad. That's horrible. But as I thought about that more, Justin, I thought hand raised, I am one of those people. Like I get up, look in the mirror as I'm brushing my teeth before anyone, the world even got a hold of me in my bathrobe, and there I am, and I'm beating myself up about what I didn't do, people I didn't call back, things I didn't say, or I'm thinking about, you know, oh, my God, my face, the wrinkles, am I getting, is my face getting chubby? Like, I never, never stopping to take the time to get to know me. So this is a long-winded answer to get back to your original question (laughs) of my morning routine. I say all that to say that that, I think, is the power Behind taking a few minutes for you in the morning. Like we talk at nausea about morning routines and getting up and doing the thing. But the whole reason behind it is when you take a few minutes to get to know you before you let the rest of the world in, it is amazing how you show up and read the emails and show up in your day and what comes. So for me, what that looks like is this I don't get up at the same time every day. It depends on when I go to bed. I am, those stringent on giving myself seven to eight hours sleep. That's a
0: non-negotiable for me. Do you set an alarm or just allow yourself to wake up?
1: Oh, God, I got to set an alarm.
0: <laughs> okay, okay.
1: <laughs> oh, God. I love my sleep. I started sleeping with eye pillows. Justin, I don't care how jacked up I look. It, I sleep so good. I tell my husband all the time, I'm like, it's lights out. <laughs> and I put my little eye pillows on I have
0: the best sleep. Wait, eye pillows, that's just like a, a eye mask. Like an eye, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I love oh eye
1: pillows. Oh my God. That's cute. It's the best. <laughs> so I get, I get up, I feed our, our animals. I like to call them our fur kids. I feed the kids. I take my vitamins in the morning. I've been really into like mind-body connection and doing these things to give me energy and mm-hmm. all of these things. So I, I take some vitamins in the morning and then I go and I light a candle. And I put a few minutes pen to paper, clearing the thoughts in my head. It doesn't even need to make sense. I don't even reread it. I just clear the thoughts and then I do two things. Well, actually, I do three things. Then I write down what is one small act of service I can do for someone. And Justin, it can be something as simple as writing my husband a little love note by the coffee. It can be something as simple as texting a friend. You know, I did that this morning, just sent a friend some messages of people that I was thinking of. And I will tell you, each message I got back was, you have no idea how bad I needed that. Mm. And then I do one small thing that will make me happy. One small thing for me. So what does that mean? Like today, I was starting to feel really burnt out. I still struggle with this and I'm talking about this and I still struggle with this. So here's what that looked like for me. I've had a, a lot of things that I feel like I've had to, to get done. I've been sitting in front of the screen late. I haven't had my decompression time. So this morning I start yelling at the dog, yelling slash crying. Yeah. <laughs> and all oh, you ever do that Well, you're like laughing, crying, and then you're like, I must look like a freaking buffoon right now. <laughs> so I take a few moments and I just go to my pen and paper. It has been like therapy to me. And Justin, here's what I want to say about that. So many people think, well, I can't journal. I'm not a writer. It's not about being a writer or not a writer. It's about the person you get to know, which is you. And that's what it's been like for me. So I go to pen to paper. I, just, I start to free out all these ideas in my head by asking myself, how am I feeling today and why? And within five minutes, Justin, I start laughing to myself thinking, oh my God, that was ridiculous that I'm screaming at the dog five minutes ago, all hyped up yet crying. So that's the power of of pen to paper. And then when I'm there this morning and I ask myself like, what do I need today? I thought, you know what I'm gonna do? Today, I am taking 20 minutes and I am going outside, just outside to get away from the screen, to feel the sun, to hear the birds, I'm giving myself 20 minutes at lunch. I blocked it in my calendar. I'm keeping the commitment to myself and I'm doing it. Mm. So that, those are the sort of examples.
0: Mm. Okay, lots of things have come up and I want to double click. Let's start with journaling. When you say pen to paper, so you truly have a pen and a paper or do you believe in kind of analog or can people digitally keep a journal?
1: For me, it's pen to paper. Mm-hmm. I have found so much therapy When I release the words from my head, anything I'm thinking, into pen, into paper. Now, if that's not for you, then that's not for you. Maybe it's the notes on your phone. Like, I think we're so quick to want someone else to write the playbook for us. I would say, listen, try pen to paper. If that doesn't work for you, then try the phone. I mean, just get curious. Justin, I have the four steps that I use, the, the four-step journal process. It can be done in five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It's not the time frame. It is you doing it. And that's on my website, megan-miller.com. And, and folks can go down there and download it because I've had so many people tell me, looking at an empty piece of paper is terrifying and I don't know where to start. And that'll start to kickstart you. But for me, it's it's pen to paper. And I do this for everything in life, really. I In my work bag, I have a, a notepad in the car. I have a notepad. I got notepads everywhere. <laughs> and it's so interesting. I was reading the study the other day that said that you forget 80% of what you think of what you hear in a day if you do not
0: write it down. Yep. I believe that. I know your first journal was just a collection of papers that got put together, but do you now search for a specific kind of journal? Are you, you have a, some kind of leather journal or do you get really excited about kind of finding the right one for you? Cause I'm guessing you're, you're moving through journals fairly quickly if you're doing writing every single day.
1: So I have turned into such a nerd because I have kept these journals, right? And I go back and I look at them sometimes and it's so interesting to think about where you've come from. Like, that's the other thing, Justin. I feel like, you know, the power of putting pen to paper and reflecting back on it, you can see how far you've come because you do so much every damn day that you never even stop to realize how much you're doing. You're always sprinting to the next thing. And when I can look back on those journals and be like, oh, my God, I remember that moment. I can't believe that I was able to come through the other end of that. There's so much power in that. But to answer your question, listen, I don't need a fluffy journal. You go to Amazon and there's like 35 million journals. You go to Google, you can spend so much money. I'm simple, easy. All I'm looking for is some bound pieces of paper together. I don't care if it's a me journal from Walmart or where it's from. It's just having those pieces of paper. And then all I do, Justin, is, the same thing I preach that's on that website, the, those four-step questions, I have it printed out and that's the process that I use. And I just write it in a pen and paper.
0: So you occasionally go back and read your journal. Is that an intentional process and or is that just whenever you are looking for some inspiration or you just wanna reflect back on some journal prompts, you pull one open, flip to a page and, and start reading?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think that our gut instincts talk to us all day long. All day long, but we are so quick to defute them, especially if it's uncomfortable, right? Which is why you do shit you know you shouldn't do. You're answering the email, and in the back of your head, you're thinking to yourself, I shouldn't be doing this. (laughs) Right? You're like in the loveless relationship, and you're like, oh God, this isn't really working. Or you're in the job that you hate. And the whole reason I say that, Justin, is I've gotten so, in this journey, so much more intentional on listening to my gut. So, for instance, when I might think to myself, oh, I wonder what, what were you doing like same time last year? Then I'll think to myself, oh, maybe I'll go look at a journal. And it can only be like a minute and I look at a few pages. But I have gotten so much more intentional on listening to that gut whisper, on the curiosity that I have and just leaning into it. Oh, and here's the other thing I want to tell you, Justin, it just came to me. This was so powerful. In the front of the journal, I write down any wins that I had during the time I'm writing in the journal. So like the front page of it. Doesn't need to be anything fancy. If I just think, oh my God, that was a win, I write it down. For instance, I wanted to get a thousand podcast downloads and I finally reached that number. So I wrote it down. You know, it's so easy to want to get in the next tier, the next tier, the next tier. I think it's so powerful to remember where you started, what you wanted, and to take a moment to write it down that you reached that. Because when you look back at that in a couple days, weeks, months, years, you're like, wow, I forgot where I started from. So that simple practice of just writing down a win, if it feels like a win, you'll write, write it, it down.
0: down. Yeah. Hmm. Well, thank you for letting me geek out about journaling. Longtime listeners know that I also have a journaling practice. It looks different than yours. I probably different. I don't do analog. I do digital, which is mm-hmm. honestly, that is just for simplicity's sake for me if i could always carry my journal with me or if i always wanted to carry my journal with me i would definitely do physical because i do think there is something to be said about having it in your hand and writing it and just letting it free flow and you got to scratch through things if yeah. if, if you got if you want to change something digitally i can just go press backspace and and change something but i do like digital now because of a couple of things so i also have a reflection process on my journaling prompt so Every day I'll, I'll write, I, I don't bound myself to how much I should write. Like sometimes I only have 30 seconds that I want to just write down two or three sentences, some quick thoughts. Other times might be a Sunday morning and I have a hot cup of coffee and I might type a paragraph to myself or it might be a little bit more poetic. It all depends. Sometimes it's just truly just like, here, here's something interesting I did today as a reminder, because as, as you mentioned, you'll forget 80% of the things that you that you don't write down. But I like it because on that day, I always go back and read the journal entries from the prior years. So I get to go. We're recording February 22nd right now. At this point in time, I think I've had my journal since 2020. So I can read February 22nd, 2020, 2021, 2022. And then I write my journal entry for 2023 and that. Whole process of getting like a couple of different checkpoints of where I was that year to the next year to the next year to the next year makes me realize how far I have come. And it could be kind of fun on like certain days, like Christmas Day. I can see the different memories from each Christmas Day, and then I'm already equipped with some some memories I can bring up. You know, remember last year when you got me this gift? That was so much fun. Or remember when Grandma did this thing? So it like can jog a lot of memories that I can have in conversation that day. And and then I also love that I can control find certain specific things. A lot of times I'll search for people and I'll see how many times a certain person comes up. So like Gabby, for example, I've talked about her hundreds and hundreds of times in my journal. I probably have like 400 entries where Gabby's name pops up or my brother's name pops up or my roommate Erica pops up, all kinds of things. So I just did Megan Miller too. Actually, I call you Meg in my journal, which is not surprising. So I looked it up. looks like June 24th, 2020. So summer of 2020, I was on your podcast and we had this really fun conversation. You changed my mind about some things. And I just talked about how great that interaction was, which is fun.
1: Was that, you said it was June, 2020?
0: Yeah, June, oh 20 or no, June, 2022. Sorry, sorry. Last year, last summer.
1: I love that. Justin, let me ask you this. Do you ask yourself any questions when you do it? Or is it just kind of free flow?
0: So now that I know that I will be reading journal entries in the future, so my first year or two, I, I didn't actually go back and read anything until it dawned on me like, oh, I think I've been writing for like a year. Let me check. And then I went back and I was like, oh yeah, I have been. And then just intuitively, I just started reading that journal entry from, from the prior year. And then I've kept that practice moving forward. But now knowing that I'm writing to my future self, I will prompt my, myself and or give myself reminders or pieces of encouragement. So I might be, hey, Justin, remember when you did this really cool thing? Like, I'm so proud of you that you took that leap of faith. Or it could be something like, hey, today we had this argument with Gabby. Now that it's been two hours and I'm reflecting on it, here's something that is still on my mind. I just wanted to give that to you and just remind you that Gabby is your everything and that you're going to have hard moments in the future, but you love her after the fact. And like that, all of that, we can make it through. So I'll give myself nuggets in the future. And then I reread that a year from now. And I'm like, and then sometimes it, it shows up at the exact right moment too. I'm like, Oh my mm. gosh, I was feeling overwhelmed. I am feeling like I wasn't making enough progress. But then I just told myself a year ago, how crazy, how much progress I've made over that year prior to. So yeah, it's a lot of wisdom shared between old Justin and new Justin. <laughs>
1: I love, so you said two things that made me actually wrote them down because I was like, oh, preach it to me, Justin. You said, one, the time commitment is different every day depending on what you have. Like I feel as if we set ourselves up for failure thinking that we need to do, I need to do this, this much time. And if I don't, then I fail. Like there was a time, Justin, when I would tell myself, and now I look back and I think that was so jacked up. No one told me I had to work out for 45 minutes, but I thought (laughs) if I didn't get a 45-minute workout in that I failed, I sucked. Like talk about setting yourself up for failure. Not every day is going to be the same. Do what you can. I loved when you said that. I'm going to hijack that because I loved that. And then the other thing I love that you said, I'm doing it, I'm like writing for my future self. I read something the other day and it has been so powerful to me and how the decisions I make. Are the decisions you're making in line with what your future self would want? So for instance, like for me, Oreos are my weakness. <laughs> so when I uh, you can't have just one or two, like you got to go a sleeve in. So when I'm going for the extra Oreo, I know that I'm going to feel like shit on the other end of it. So asking myself, like, would my future self be proud of me for this? I know it sounds hokey. But it has been so powerful in me making decisions that I feel support me versus the emotion in the knee-jerk
0: moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's Once you get that frame of reference in, you can really support yourself. And Mm -hmm. if you're asking yourself that, then you do start thinking a little bit more long-term. You don't always have to make the right decision, but you can make some guesses on what you feel like will be the best decision for you over the long run, not in that current moment.
1: Yes, and I love when you said you making decisions for you. Like I look back on the decisions I've made and Justin, I can't tell you how many times I was so quick to do a Google search, to do a survey of my closest friends and family to tell me what to do. And the person that I never consulted was me. Mm -hmm. I feel when you have enough courage to make the decision that you know feels right for you in the moment, right, wrong, indifferent, but leaning in on yourself in those inner gut whispers, there is so much power in that because that's you having your own back. And you know what to do. It might be uncomfortable, but you know what to do if you give yourself a little bit of silence to let life in, to let you in. Mm. And I think that's what journaling does. It lets a little bit of silence in.
0: It does. Well, thank you for letting me geek out about journaling for the last 20 minutes now, but I'm gonna hit a a hard segue into another thread that I really wanna talk about, which is kind of your primary tagline, which is detoxing off the drug of achievement. And man, have I been thinking a whole lot about this recently because I once again needed a reminder and I've been caught in this trap again. um, I think this is just an ongoing, ever evolving addiction that you always have to be careful of. But to put some context into it in case somebody is is trying to understand what we're talking about here, let's use your story in particular. Can you bring me back to the moment when you were pulled over on the side of Highway 76? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Justin, for, for bringing this up because I think it's so important that we, that we talk about this in this hustle culture world and making it human. So I had lived my life under this umbrella of I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I get the next promotion. I'll be happy when I get this in the bank. I'll be happy when I get this car. I'll be happy when I fit into this size jean. That was my whole life. So 15 years into this hospitality sales job, and I was addicted to it like a drug. I mean, it was never enough. I was always on. I sacrificed myself at all costs. I was always looking for the next hit. And what I realized, Justin, at the root of all of it is that I never felt good about me. I was a chubby kid, central PA, raised by a single mother, speech impediment, like we talked about, 600 SAT scores. I was a C student, told by the world that I would never amount to much. And then the first thing that ever made me feel worthy and made me feel good about life was this job in sales, made me feel validated. And then it became an addiction. And so I finally get the corner office running sales for this billion dollar hospitality organization. And as life, divine God, whatever word you want to use, slapped me upside the head and said, listen to me. I get the promotion and a few weeks into it, I have this mental breakdown on 76. And for those of you who might not be familiar with 76, it's the main highway in and out of Philadelphia, like the worst spot to have a mental breakdown. <laughs> I remember, Justin, I can go back there in a second. Isn't it funny the things you remember? I can go back there in a second. That was seven years ago. And I can get in that car. And I remember it shaking back and forth with Mac trucks whizzing by. And I remember thinking to myself, how did my life get here? Yes, I have the corner office. Yes, on social media, everything looks great about my life. Yes, I have the title after my name, but I am popping Lexapro. I am binge drinking. I am cut off from my closest friends and family. I am $20,000 in debt because I think the latest thing will fulfill me. And my whole life, what I realized, Justin, and it took me so long to get there, but I spent my whole life running from myself into the thing that made me feel validated and worthy and good in my safe harbor, which was my job. And I think really think that's the core of
0: any addiction. And the problem was that you hit that milestone and then you got that. It didn't exactly give you what you wanted. And then I'm guessing like myself too, you move the milestone ahead as well. It's like, okay, now, now this is no longer enough. Here's this next thing that I'm chasing.
1: Oh, my God. Mic drop. Spot on. Yes. So you think you messed up the assignment because you're like, well, that was supposed to make me happy. It didn't. So it must be the next thing. And then you get there and you're like, it must be the next thing. So you keep moving the goalpost, and you can spend your whole life doing that. I did that for 15 years.
0: It's tough. And I I know we both have a love for The book, The Gap and the Gain. And I think this, yes, (laughs) I think this book does a really good job explaining that moment. And and the premise of the book, for anyone that hasn't read the book, I think it's well worth the pickup, is essentially that that a lot of people, especially highly ambitious people, are unhappy because what they measure themselves against. Mm -hmm. And there is this thing they talk about, which is the ideal meaning this kind of moving target that's always in front of you that you're always trying to chase. You hit the one milestone, but it's not that milestone. That was only a micro milestone to the next milestone that I wanna hit. And you're always chasing that next milestone and that's what you're comparing yourself against versus what the happy people compare themselves against, which is their previous self. And they look backwards and they see where they were and how far they have come. So the gap is this ideal. I like I'm trying to get to this next milestone and the gain is the retrospective looking back and seeing how far you have come. And they really break down this premise really great, but it it really helped me understand something I was currently struggling with and I still struggle with all of the time, which is this kind of addiction to achievement.
1: I am so happy you brought up that book, Take Me to Church. Justin, <laughs> I will tell you... For anyone that is interested in in what Justin and I are talking about here, which we've never really been taught to talk about because it's air quote, a good thing to be air quote, good at your job. It, it, it was so powerful. And Justin, I don't know if you remember this piece in the book, but they do a practice and exercise in what success looks like to you. Do you remember that part of the book?
0: It's been so long since I've read the book. And, and by so long, probably like two years, but <laughs> um, <laughs> enough where I'm like, okay, help me out. <laughs> This was
1: really powerful to me. So I finally ended up starting this movement, right? And coming out into the world with it, this addiction, like you're still bringing you. So I I did not realize that my whole life was spent, air quote, measuring my success around the outside world. I never even asked myself what success meant to me. So what did that look like? coming out into social media and posting something and then being like, well, I won't get the likes that Mel Robbins has or Marie Folio or Brene Brown. Like to your point, never always on this gap scale. And really when I took the time to ask myself these questions on what success looks like for me, did I realize that I was so much more successful than I ever gave myself credit for in, in what I wanted? So what did that look like? Time with my husband during the weeknight to sit and have a meal with him, with the person that I love. Being able to work from anywhere and doing so with energy and passion, hearing, getting messages from people that my story resonated and that they needed to hear it. All of these things I was doing, but I was not giving myself credit for because it wasn't to the standards of what I thought the outside world look like. So I wasn't, I wasn't coming in with the Mel Robbins or the Brene Brown. And I think we all discredit ourselves so quickly thinking that won't happen for me. I can't do that where you're never even taking your own barometer of what success looks like for you.
0: Yeah, I I 100% agree with that. And there is a healthy balance between that for sure. Like you can have role models, you can have idols, you can have something that you would love to have one day or you just think that you would love to have said thing or specific aspects of it. But I also have to catch myself in some of those moments as well and realize there's probably more facets to that person or to that achievement that maybe I don't wanna have. Like I've seen some very successful podcast, even one of my favorites is like Jordan Harbinger and the show is, is, is so big. He's got like seven figure downloads on on his episodes. But what we didn't see is not this two-year runway for him to get there, but ah. like this like 15-year runway of this other show that he had and all of the radio experience that he's had, all of that. And when you put that into perspective and so many of these other people like Mel Robbins and Brené Brown, et cetera, too, and you look at their life and everything that's built up to it as well, like it's been quite the journey there. Even someone like... I know you have a a love for Sarah Blakely Uh. as well. Like her journey and where she came from, you know, first female self-made billionaire out there. But Mm. she had a whole lot of shit that she had to get through and a whole lot of push to get to where she was. And maybe that is what you want. Maybe that's not what you want. You, I think you just got to be careful and you have to continue to identify those things throughout your entire journey.
1: Hmm. I love that you brought him Sarah Blakely. She (laughs) says this, I I love this. So talking about how we talk ourselves out of things, right? Well, they have this, uh, I'll never have this. So she tells the story and it it resonated with me so much, how she will go out. And for anyone who might not be familiar with Sarah Blakely, she was God's gift to women. She created this (laughs) hosiery that actually was comfortable and made you look good in things, not having your fat rolls come out of different areas of your body, not the most attractive feeling. And so she created this whole new hosiery line that did not exist before she had enough courage to put it out there. And she failed the LSATs twice. Mm -hmm. She came out with $5,000 to her name. So she wasn't a trust fund baby. And she had enough courage to take action on it. And she says how she goes out and tells her story to other women and men. And she gets feedback all the time from women that says, I was doing that with my hosiery before you created it. But here's the thing. Sarah Blakely had enough courage to take action. And that's the thing. You have these, we all do have these amazing, brilliant ideas but before they even form on our lips, we discredit them. And it's all about taking these small little steps, this action. You know, it took Sarah Blakely. She says, listen, I was sleeping, eating, breathing this stuff for five plus years. Like it it took a long time to get it out. We think that we should just Amazon link the thing to us. And if we don't get it in 48 hours or the package we want, then screw it. That, that's why I'm so passionate about these micro steps. It's these small little things that you can do every day when you lean into them. It's amazing what spurs what comes into place and you are keeping and making the promises to yourself, which also then quiets the asshole in your brain that tells you that you can't do the thing and you suck and you fail and don't do it.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that is one of the more successful treatments to this addiction, really kind of holding those promises that you made to yourself?
1: Yes. Yes. So I, it's so funny that you, that you say this. So just yesterday I get a phone call from a a girlfriend of mine. She's in sales and she's like, Meg, I'm going to lose my shit. I just, I can't do this anymore. And I could tell she was like on the verge. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I said, I want you to stop. I want you to get in a place where you have silence even for just five minutes. Put the phone down for five minutes. Tell you, scroll Instagram for longer than that. And I want you to just ask yourself right now, what is one thing that I could do right now that would make me happy? One small thing. It can be five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. For me this morning, it was getting outside and feeling the sun on my face for a little bit. And then you keep that promise to yourself regardless of how hijacked your day gets. And you do that same thing again and again and again. And it's amazing how you start reading the emails differently. You show them to the meetings differently. You're able to walk away from the screen. And you're able to just, it's amazing how you start showing them because again, what you look for, you find.
0: Yeah, and I think the other issue with, the addition, addiction as well is this reliance and validation from one particular area. So it's it's really easy for me to see it in the context of my career. And mm. I've always, I, it's easy to tell where it came from too. Like My dad's always stressed having a job and being a productive member of society and money has always been something that was a barometer for success. So it's, it's very easy for me to see the path of why I became somewhat addicted to my career. And then I realized so many of the other drawers of life were were left empty and it took me, and I'm still working on it too, to close the career drawer sometimes and open up some of the other drawers like friendship, like hobbies, like all of these other things and invest a little bit of time and effort and energy into those. And that has helped ease that addiction a little bit. I mean, it's always kind of creeping out and I'm always kind of struggling with the fact that like this is where I get my validation. But I have found it helpful to find a little balance between all of these things right now. You are in
1: my mind today so (laughs) much, my friend. I love how you talked about the drawers of life. So I did this exercise... Oh my God, years ago. And I thought to myself, why the hell did no one ever teach me this? So it's it's five in the morning, I have my candle lit, I'm in my robe, and I start thinking about these drawers of life. So so to your point, you have your health. If you think of your life like a six-dresser drawer, you have your health, you have your finances, spirituality, your relationship, your career, right? Fun, what's that? Your happiness, your self-worth, all those all those things. And as I started to do a gauge of how full I was, like a gas gauge in each of those drawers, I thought to myself, well, no wonder I am always on edge. No wonder I feel like I can't ever relax or enjoy myself. No wonder I'm addicted to the screen because that's the only drawer that's full. Everything else had dust bunnies in it. Everything else, <laughs> everything. I'm like, oh my God, no wonder. And it's so overwhelming. You don't know where to start. So to the person listening that is like, oh my God, I, I, I feel everything you're saying, but I don't know where to start. I think a great first place back to where we began is to begin with the journaling, begin with a moment of you before you let the rest of the of the world in find prompts that work for you. You can use Justin's technique or my technique with the four questions or how you can even Google it. You can find anything you want, but it's amazing what comes to you. And then you slowly begin to realize what drawers of your life are missing. And you intentionally begin to do these small little micro steps to fill them. So it might be scheduling time with your friends and actually making it happen versus saying, I'm too busy. I can't go. I'm tired. Right? It could be putting down this to me was was a it was a game changer. I was I didn't realize how much I was going to booze to stress relief. And then I would feel like shit. And then I would eat like shit. It was a whole big cycle. So maybe you want to get healthier. So instead of for Taco Tuesday, having three margaritas, Maybe you tell yourself you'll have one, right? Like when you start to set those sorts of intentions, it's amazing how you start showing up. Mm-hmm.
0: So you mentioned you're on the highway and 20K in debt, binge yeah. drinking, loveless marriage, disconnected from your tribe, your your relationships, all of that. Which of those do you feel like was the hardest to recorrect? I don't know if the, I love that verb, but I think you understand probably what oh, I'm asking, yeah. right? Okay.
1: Hmm. Finances.
0: Really? Yeah. That surprises me. You seem like someone that just get the shit together and then that got corrected.
1: Isn't it so funny? My life in sales was about spreadsheets and numbers, but I couldn't do it for myself. I think for me, it seems so daunting. Like I I didn't even want to open the bills because I knew that I was overspending. I didn't know where to start. And I also too, just, and this was, this was interesting. I was one of those people that was an emotional buyer. So if things got uncomfortable, if I felt uncomfortable, I went to just buy a new piece of clothing because I thought that it would make me feel good. So I kind of felt like, if I, it, talk about identity, like if I didn't have the fun, cool, sexy clothes, then who was I? So that, that was really terrifying. I, I didn't know where to begin with that. But I think it all felt like terrifying. If I can go back, man, it all, oh, I'll tell you what. Sometimes I I cannot believe how far that I have come. And I say that to say, my friend, the listener right now that is terrified, is feeling like they're just existing. Here's what I want to tell you. That life that, that you think is so far-fetched, and the dreams that you have that you only let come to you in the quiet whispers of your mind when you're alone, you can have that. And you know who's going to get you there?
0: You. And that's empowering as well. The fact that you only need you, that you, you don't have to rely on any external factors in this. You can truly rely on yourself like you've relied on yourself this entire time.
1: Yes. And isn't it interesting That's the first person who we discredit. We never keep on the calendar. Like I just, I wouldn't, I would, something as simple as going to the DMV to get my license renewed. I'd cancel that because 99% of the time somebody needed something from me and I thought it was the only thing I could control. Hmm. And it's so interesting. I found when I made these small promises to myself, nothing big or sexy, but hell, keeping the doctor's appointment you know, how many of us are late on our annual doctor appointments because we're like, I'm too busy. Right? Keeping your doctor's appointments or even keeping the one small commitment to yourself. Maybe that's going to dinner with your brother at 530, but you got a shit ton of other stuff going on. Keeping that promise to yourself that you made and doing it. It's amazing how it quiets the asshole in your mind. It's And it's so interesting. There's science behind it. It's called the habit loop. You can look it up but it begins to change the narrative you have with yourself. And if you want to start to change how you show up in life, you've got to change the conversations you have with yourself.
0: Couldn't agree more. Megan, this has been a really fun conversation. We've had plenty of conversations prior to this off mic, and I know we're going to have a ton of conversations in the future as well. I love you so much. You have something in the works You're an author now. (laughs) You want to share a little bit about the the project that you're involved with and and where people can find it.
1: I love you too. You make me so happy. It is amazing how and I got it and I'll get to the project, but it's amazing how when you rise up off the screen and lean in to just these beautiful little serendipitous moments that we all have. It's amazing what people show up in your life. Like I truly believe when someone says, I have to introduce you to someone, there's something kismet about that and you got to lean into it. So my friends, when someone says to you next time, I got to introduce you to someone, lean into it. That's how Justin and I met. And it has been a beautiful friendship. I love you. And thank you for having me. So the book. Yeah, I can't. (laughs) So I have co-authored a book with 44 other women called Voices of the Twenty First Century, Women Who Transformed the World. And it is all of these people's stories, their struggles, what they learned through their their journey, how life had to bring them to their knees and what was on the other end. And what I love so much about it, Justin, is I, I think actually I actually got this from Yellowstone. John Dutton gave me this nugget. <laughs> We go through these struggles in life. Life has to bring us to our knees and then when we have enough courage to share it, it helps someone else know that they're not doing it alone. Yeah. And that book is available on the website megan-miller.com and you will get if you if you buy it from the website, I will send you a nice little autographed copy. My friend and I would love I I hope that these words speak to you and help you know that you're not alone in the journey because that, that just when I first started this movement, that was one of the, my, my main things is I had spent my whole life hiding behind a mask, living in my own little cocoon, fighting these battles I thought I had to fight alone and never vocalizing them or sharing them with anyone else. And life can feel like such a lonely, dark world when you do that but you have a tribe of people that want to support you and care about you and can help you do it. You don't have to do it alone. And that is really what I wanted to build. So I invite you all to come along with me. Let's link arms, baby, because you're not doing it alone.
0: (laughs) So once again, that is megan-miller.com. Megan and Miller all spelled, I guess the normal ways, but we can spell it out, M-E-G-A-N-M-I-L-L-E-R. Also, always in the show notes if you're looking for an easy click. Meg, my final question for you. If you had the opportunity to teach a 16-week class to a group of graduating college seniors on a topic that isn't normally covered in the classroom, what would you teach and how would you teach it? Oh, I'd probably be fired in a hot minute because (laughs) I'm
1: i am not very PC. (laughs) But I would say, I love this question. I would teach them how to get to know themselves, how to lean into those gut whispers, Everything we teach, at least looking back on my own journey, is what the rest of the world wants you to do, be, you want to achieve. And we never teach you how to learn to ask yourself those questions. And what a
0: monumental and significant class in a period of life where I felt like the only thing I was being taught was the things that society wanted me to become, to do, to move forward with. I never, never once turned around and reflected on like, who am I? What do I want to be? What does this period of life look like for me if I were to make all the decisions?
1: Yes. Yes. I know for me, when I look back on my college career, I (laughs) was so quick to run to the booze, run to the booze. I was the life of the party. I was the funny girl. That was my title and identity. But if I really had someone to pull me aside and talk to me about these things, I just feel how different my trajectory would have been and how and how different it can be for someone else. I think you get so quick to live in, in the lane that you've been taught to be in that you never even know that you can merge somewhere else.
0: Definitely. Folks, Megan Miller, Megan Such a pleasure. This is a fun conversation for me.
1: I could be here with you all day (laughs) you are my human everyone follow justin everyone connect with justin subscribe to the podcast i just the struggle is real and i love this community you're building and i am so happy to know you to love you to support you and to be friends with you you're amazing human doing amazing things
0: love you love you All right, team, crew, how are you guys doing? Like that was such a fun conversation. I always love getting to talk to friends. So many of the guests that I have are acquaintances, you know, people that I've maybe done a pre-call with and then we've jumped into the conversation. So I see them as more practitioners. But Meg was something special for me because she is just someone that popped up into my life, not as this podcast guest that I was going to have on, but as someone that just showed up as a friend. And we've really cultivated an amazing relationship over the last year. She is an incredible person. I highly encourage you to go check the book out. Once again, you can find that at megan-miller.com and or just open up the show notes and and click on the link there. Spring is approaching. So hopefully the weather is warming up. Austin has been beautiful here and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening to the episode. As always, I appreciate your kind words. If you want to leave us a rating and review on your podcast player right now, that would absolutely make my day. If you want to find episode show notes, our blog, and other great resources, head over to tsirpodcast.com. If you have follow-up questions, an idea for a future episode, or just want to say hi, we have a contact form on our website, and those messages go straight into my inbox, and I promise you, I will reply. But all right, guys, I really appreciate you tuning in. I love you all, and you're not alone. Let's keep making it through our struggles together.